0: Kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply. Hello baby
1: welcome to the smart people podcast sit back grab a drink tune in your brain ask not what your country can do for you
0: this nation will rise up
1: is smart people podcast i'm chris stemp and i'm john rojas did you like my jeopardy thing i just did there
2: not really you kind of blew the mic out a little bit
1: (laughs) anyways thanks for tuning in this week everyone first want to say thank you for helping support us through our amazon widget on our website www.smartpeoplepodcast.com We've been hearing a lot of feedback from you guys as to how to make the show better and what guests to have on. We really appreciate that. Actually helped us out with this week's guests.
2: Yeah, one of the areas that we received a couple emails on was the financial market. You know, right now we're in a recession. Everybody is worried about their 401k. They're worried about their nest egg, how they're going to retire. And then there's some of us that are you know, just getting into the investment game. And we don't really know what to do with 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, et cetera, et cetera. There's so much stuff out there. So we had this guest on and with the hopes of that he would help us figure all this stuff out.
1: The other thing is you turn on the news these days and every other article or every other show is about some new CEO who stole money from basically you and I somehow – and it starts to make you skeptical of what are you supposed to do with your money? Is, it, is Are you investing in the next Ponzi scheme? Or do you have day traders that are just taking you for all your worth? So it's a confusing world out there. And we figured maybe we can help everybody out. Yeah, and the guest that we're going to
2: have on, you know, he, he wants people to have a fair shot at the market. He doesn't want the market to sit there and take advantage of the layman investor.
1: So all that led up to... Today's guest is Dan Goldie. He's a pretty interesting guy. First, when we read up on him, we noticed he's a former NCAA singles champion in tennis. And he was ranked as high as 27th in the world. So that's no slouch. It's a pretty, you know. Pretty impressive feat, I might say. Thank you. But he suffered a career-ending injury. And he found his passion in the finance advisory industry. He is now the president and founder of Dan Goldie Financial Services, located in San Francisco, California. He holds a bachelor's in economics from Stanford and an MBA from Berkeley. He is also a certified financial analyst, which I'm aware of because I was in the finance industry, and it's a pretty difficult designation to get. It's easily as difficult as an MBA, takes at least three years. He is also a certified financial planner. So we hope you enjoy the advice he has to give you. You can also check out his book, The Investment Answer. Here's Dan. First, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit just about your background, how you came to be the founder of your own successful financial services firm.
3: Well, uh, I started in financial services um, Mm -hmm. after I retired from the professional tennis tour. So I went to Stanford University as an undergraduate and received an economics degree and I was the NCAA tennis champion back in 1986. So I turned pro after that, after graduation and played professional tennis for five and a half years and got injured in the middle of that period and ultimately retired in 91 and I had interned with a financial planning firm in college, and I'd always found how markets work to be just fascinating, and I really wanted to get back into finance in some way. And so in 91, I interviewed around and ended up basically becoming an independent advisor at that time, and then I didn't found my own firm until 2009, but I did. I was an independent advisor all the way through for the last 20 years.
1: Okay, that sounds great. Actually, we, we did see that... Um you know, you had a pretty successful tennis career. I think John wanted to ask you a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. I had a question when researching you, you know, I saw you were the 1986 NCAA single, you won the singles title while at Stanford. Right. And then you were ranked as high as number 27. And I was going to ask, you know, what made you leave tennis and decide to get into financial services? But I guess you said you had an injury. I mean, was it uh completely career ending or, you know, was it something that you worked through?
3: It was basically career-ending. I, I developed stress fractures in both of my shins, and it just didn't seem to go away. I could play through it, but I couldn't really practice a lot. And it happened right after I reached the quarterfinals of Wimbledon in 1989, and that was sort of in the middle of my tennis career. So for the last two years of my tennis career, I really my ranking declined uh, because I couldn't practice much, and I, was, I just I, my movement was hampered. And I just finally got frustrated and said, okay, enough, let's move on.
1: I mean, I know a lot of athletes who have reached a level of that height say that, you know, that kind of helped them out in their future in terms of uh, their business career. Do you think you learned some things while competing that have helped you along the way?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it takes a lot of uh, dedication and tunnel vision and hard work, you know, to, be, to reach the, the top levels of any, any sport. And so the lessons that you learn, achieving that, can be applied to any endeavor. So I think former athlete who's well-educated and motivated to do well in another pursuit is uh, perfectly suited for, to do well in something else.
1: I agree. That's a We were just interested, both kind of athletes at heart. So sorry, we, that might have been a little off-topic, but we were interested yeah, in that. No I guess I wanted to get into talking about the book that you wrote called The Investment Answer, and I know you co-authored that with Gordon Murray, and it's actually a, a bittersweet story of how the book was finally created. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about how it, it came to be?
3: Sure. I, I initially met Gordon in 2002 when he hired me to be his family's financial advisor, and that was about a year after he had retired from a 25-year Wall Street career, where he was a very successful manager and trader and salesperson of fixed income securities, uh, bonds. And so we became friends over a, a number of years as I was working with him, and we both really shared a lot of common interests. He was a former athlete as well, and like in high school, and uh, became very close. And uh, he really became excited about the investment approach that I was using, which is basically what is written in that book. And um, he had wanted, over a number of years, to put these ideas into a book because he felt that the playing field was not level for individual investors. Uh, He felt that Wall Street and the financial services industry in general were taking advantage of individual investors too often and that that individuals needed some education to protect themselves and to make smart choices. And so we had talked about doing a book for a number of years, but we just never had the impetus to do it until Gordon got sick. And particularly towards the end, when he was diagnosed with six months to live, that was when I I said to him, Gordon, we've got to write that book now. And that was you know when we had that clock ticking for me that was the motivation i needed to make it happen because i knew how much he really wanted that book to become a reality and if i didn't help him do it it wasn't going to get done so when he was diagnosed with 6 months that was when we started and we had a finished book i had a finished book in his hands after about 3 months wow and so we were really happy with how i mean everything just seemed to flow really beautifully we worked together really well we had a lot of really excellent editing help and feedback from top finance professors and other professionals in the field uh, who really helped us get the book to be accurate and concise and well-written. So it was, it was really a, an effort that we both are really proud of, and it was really an enjoyable experience.
1: You know, I, I must say that I really enjoyed this book. I, Like I said, I have a finance background. I've read a lot of finance books, most of which get a little too wordy. Uh, or preach a little too much. But you did a good job at, at hitting the, the points that I think most people need to be aware of, especially these days. I feel like every time I turn on the TV, we're finding out about inside information that was illegally passed along or a CEO uh-huh. who's committing fraud. And I feel like for the common investor, the, the deck's stacked against us.
3: Well, I think most of us feel that way. And, part, and, that, and that was part of Gordon's mission was to uh, as I said earlier, to educate investors, and, and that became my mission as well. So you know the reason we wrote this book the way that we wrote it is so that really any investor can read it, finish it all, and understand it. Because all too often, as you say, a lot of investment books are either too long or too too technical or too complicated and we wanted to make this one different this one is really for every investor it's, it's got some pretty important and potentially sophisticated ideas but we've written about it in very simple language and we did that of course by design because of the reasons I mentioned and our hope is that a lot of people who normally would not buy an investment book will actually pick this one up because so many of us need this knowledge and we're not taught about it in school We don't get personal finance education or uh, investment education in school, most of us. And we have to learn it on our own, which is very difficult because you'll pick up sound bites here and there and learn things bit by bit. And there's also a lot of misguided advice out there. So here's a guide that you can get read it in an hour or two, and have a real good foundation for understanding how markets work and how to make smart choices as, a, as an individual investor.
1: I don't want to give too much away, because we want to lead people to the book, but we have had requests from numerous listeners to try and get somebody on who can kind of give them a little financial advice. Would you mind kind of giving a few pointers that you might have to our listeners?
3: Sure. Well, the first thing is, and, and Gordon thought this was one of the more important about investing in general is that it's very important for all of us as investors to understand the difference between investing and speculating. And all too often, what we see people doing with their money is really speculating in one form or another instead of long-term investing. And so the quick and dirty definitions are, in our minds, that long-term investing, prudent investing is all about taking your money and investing it in a way that will enable you to capture the returns that capital markets deliver over the long run. You want to capture as much of that return as markets make available as you can. And to do that, you want to cut your costs down, you want to be very widely diversified, and you want to stay with the program don't dip in and out of markets. Don't try to pick and time when you invest and when you don't invest. Just put the money in some low-cost, diversified vehicle, stay invested, rebalance your portfolio, and stay the course. But that's not what most people do. Most people are trying to pick stocks or speculate in one way or another. And what studies show is that all of that activity tends to dramatically reduce the returns that investors are getting on their money. And I think it leads a lot of us to just ultimately exiting the markets altogether because we have such bad results and we get scared and we feel like we just can't do this.
2: For someone who is just getting into investing, do you have a recommendation of investing vehicles? I always hear that vanguards out there, they're they're low cost. You hear about IRAs, Roth IRAs. For those listeners out there that might be just getting into investing, which vehicles do you recommend to them?
3: Well if you're just getting started, then you're really only going to be able to invest on your own because if you don't have an asset base, I think it's unlikely you'll be able to find an advisor that would be willing to take you on. You might be able to find an hourly based advisor, but more likely you're you're going to be investing on your own at least initially. And there are some good vehicles that are available to retail investors. And Vanguard is is a good Option Fidelity is another good option. Uh, Charles Schwab, another option. Any of the the big p- providers of low-cost, broadly diversified vehicles, whether they be index funds or exchange-traded funds or asset class-type investment funds, anything like that, in my mind, is a great place for an individual to start and build a portfolio um, by regularly investing diversified portfolio, so you have different asset classes in your portfolio, meaning large stocks, small stocks, fixed income, international stocks, you know, a variety of different markets. And and then what you're basically doing is you're you're investing your money so that as capital markets grow over time and deliver returns over the long run, you'll be there to capture them.
1: I've actually become pretty skeptical of of investing, as you mentioned, a lot of people have when I see the you know incredible government spending, increasing deficit, weakening dollar, I start to get worried about the United States economy specifically. Do you recommend an international approach? Are you pushing people more towards international investment? What type of things are you doing? Are you recommending to diversify?
3: Well, I've, I've always recommended holding a global portfolio. For diversification purposes, and so I, I'm, I try not to focus on the forecasting element of investing because I feel that that's where a lot of people get into trouble. Potential outcomes and the forecasts that you hear uh, aside, it makes sense to invest globally regardless. You know, a lot of people will will recommend maybe of your of your stock market portfolio, you might have 30% or 40% of that money outside of the U.S. And I think that's perfectly reasonable, as well as as long as it's widely diversified, as I've earlier stated, and and invested in low cost vehicles, it's a great way to diversify, uh, because you're you have foreign currencies in that portfolio, so you have some inflation hedge, inflation hedging going on there, and um, particularly if you combine your equity portfolio with very high quality short maturity bonds, bonds that are due in say two years or less, uh, then you've, you've got your fixed income, which will be very stable and very safe, and the equity portion, the stock market portion, uh, can be more volatile, and of course will be volatile, and the combination of those two will help reduce the volatility of the whole portfolio. And that's the key to managing risk right there, is the decision of how much do you put in stocks? versus how much do you put in short-term bonds? and the more you have in stocks of course the higher your expected return in the long run but the more volatile your portfolio will be and the bigger your downturns will be when markets go down and then if you have less in stocks uh, your expected return is lower but of course the portfolio will be more stable and won't go down as much in the down year so there's a risk and return trade-off and that's one of the, the keys of finance It's one of the you know, basic elements of finance is risk and return always go together and that's a point we make in the book as well.
1: Even knowing a little bit about finance, one thing I didn't realize until I spoke with, with an investment professional was there are things you can use, you know, types of insurance policies and things like that actually as an investment vehicle. Do you have any recommendations on that aspect? Because I feel like even though people might know about diversification, they often don't know about these other types of ways to kind of invest and diversify.
3: What other types of ways are you referring to when you say insurance products?
1: Well, I know you can buy different like life insurance policies that you can use actually as a type of investment. I'm not too familiar with them, so I was maybe I'm off base or if you had any ideas.
3: Okay. I really feel that people should separate the financial planning need for insurance and investment. Uh, I don't find a lot of good uses for insurance products as an investment vehicle. And the reason is that with insurance products, you're paying pretty high costs because there's always some insurance cost tacked onto the product itself so I would rather see investors invest money in low-cost index funds outside of an insurance product for their investment needs and if they need life insurance or some other insurance-based product just buy that separately and just buy for example with life insurance just buy a plain vanilla term Insurance policy, and that way you're just paying for the insurance cost only, and not all the extra stuff that comes with it. I think a lot of those vehicles are sold for the commission by the agent, and and may not be in the best interest of the consumer.
1: That's a great. Uh, that's what I was wondering. So I guess that was a good way of looking at it. the The last kind of financial type question I I had for you was, what do you think in terms of investing in uh, like precious metals and things as a way of decreasing risk, you know, or gives you something tangible. And I think, off. I yeah. mean, that's why gold is such at such a high.
3: Yes, and I know that that's been popular lately as stock markets have been very volatile um, and people are talking about the potential for inflation to come back, uh, precious metals, you know, are and, and, and they've also, of course, performed well recently, so people are attracted to that. But we write about this in the book as well, and we really feel that these kind of alternative investments really are not necessary to have a good investment experience. You could have some of that in your portfolio, and I I wouldn't object to it, but I would recommend keeping it small, say under 10% of your overall portfolio. Generally with commodities and things like that, usually you hear them recommended as a way to hedge inflation. But most commodities, in particular gold, are very volatile. The prices are very volatile, and inflation changes are, are very slow. So the volatility of inflation is very low, and if you're hedging something, you want the volatility of the vehicle that you're hedging with to have the same volatility as the, as the thing you're trying to hedge against. So you want, if you're going to hedge inflation correctly, you want something that has the same amount of volatility as inflation, and, and that turns out to be short-term bonds. Short-term bonds and inflation have about the same amount of volatility, and they track each other very closely, so I prefer short-term bonds to be the primary inflation hedge. In the short run, in the long run, of course, equities outperform inflation. So they're a great long-run inflation hedge. You don't need the metals or the commodities. I really think that's more in the, in the realm of speculating, not investing.
1: As we mentioned, you have a book out right now called The Investment Answer, which is, is a great book. Is there anything else you would like to pass along to our listeners or, or guide them or tell them about?
3: Well, for those who are interested in the book, it should be available everywhere, If they would like to learn more about it, there is a website for the book. It's called uh, theinvestmentanswerbook.com, and we have up there uh, lots of information about the book, uh, the media coverage we've received, so people can learn more about it, and um, I appreciate being on your show.
1: All right, Dan. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you. All right, everyone. I hope that Dan helped give you a little bit better direction in the market, and what you should do with with your money. Hopefully you won't feel as lost as you did before this interview. Also, if you wanna check out some more of his advice, feel free to get his book, which is The Investment Answer, which is located on Amazon at our website and bookstores pretty much anywhere. And you can check him out on his website at dangoldy.com. As always, the music for today's and every podcast is
2: provided by The Outdoors. You can find them at theoutdoorsmusic.com, and as a reminder, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com/smartpeoplepodcast,
1: and on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. We release some interesting stuff on Twitter, so you you should probably follow us, or we'll start doing that. I know we don't. It'd be nice to, but either way, thanks for tuning in, and hope you can join us next week. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a comment and a rating.